The dead in Christ will be raised, but then we shall all be changed. At that moment, all of us are going to receive our resurrected, glorified bodies that serve as proof that we really are the children of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that we need to learn to see life through the eyes of Jesus. Even those times when it seems like hell and high water has come against us. We've got to still be able to see life through the eyes of Jesus. Through the eyes of a lion. And this morning, I want to talk to you on this subject, standing on your tiptoes at the edge of eternity. Standing on your tiptoes at the edge of eternity. I want us to go back and look at a passage of Scripture that we looked at last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul gives us these words. He said, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. And how many of you know that if that were what we were doing, we could see a lot of troubles in our life because there's always trouble. There's always hell. There's always high water. But he said this. He said, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. No, that's not what we choose to focus on. But he said, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. And when he says that we fix our gaze, that tells us that at one time, our gaze was broken and needed to be fixed. And we saw last week that it was back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, where our gaze was broken, where our sight was broken. The enemy comes to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and said, the reason why God doesn't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is because he knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes will be opened and then you'll be able to see both good and evil. And what Adam and Eve didn't realize was their eyes were already opened. They were just opened to the good things. They were open to the God things. They could see God Matter of fact, the Bible said that every day God would come down and walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. But the moment that they disobeyed God and did something God told them not to do, when they ate from the tree they were not supposed to eat from, yes, their eyes were open, but now their eyes were open to things that God really never wanted their eyes to be open to, things like sin and shame and guilt. And then man became blind to God. We have blind spots when it comes to God. And so he says we've got to fix our gaze. And the way that we do that is we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. Is it really possible to see things that cannot be seen? Yes. But the only way that we can see things that cannot be seen is through the telescope of faith. And we talked about that last week, that when we look through the eyes of faith, you see, when you come to Jesus Christ and you put, you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's at that moment, again, that your eyes are opened and you can see, but still you have to look through eyes of faith. And he said, so we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things that we see now 
will soon be gone. In other words, he's telling us that this world that we live in right now is just temporary. We're not going to be here forever. We're just strangers and pilgrims passing through this land. And he said, for things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. Can you imagine that? That the things that we cannot see with the natural physical eye, the things that we can only see with spiritual eyes through the eyes of faith, those are the things that are really real. And those are the things that are going to last throughout all of eternity. And so here in this passage of Scripture, we can also almost see Paul as he stands on his tiptoes at the edge of eternity, anticipating what is yet to come. And then we go to Romans chapter 8. And if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn there to Romans chapter 8. Because I believe in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18, that we're going to read what I believe is the most informative passage that's given to us as it relates to believers and suffering. Have you ever asked the question, God, why do believers suffer? God, why do believers have to go through hard times? Why do believers have to go through difficult times? And we're going to look at that question today, and, and I'm just going to tell you right up front, I don't have all the answers to that question. Why do we as believers suffer? Why do we as believers experience loss? Loss of children, loss of parents, loss of a job, loss of dreams. Why is it that believers, many times it seems like they suffer as much, if not more than unbelievers? And I believe that Paul, in Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us the insight that we need that helps us with that struggle in our lives. And here's what Paul tells us beginning in verse 18. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now in that passage of scripture right there, Paul gives us the theme of this entire passage that we're going to look at together this morning. And here's what Paul does. Paul is doing some evaluating. And here's what he says. He says, I have evaluated. I consider that our present sufferings, which causes us to ask the question, well, did Paul suffer? Oh boy, did he? You go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, down around verse 24. And Paul begins to give us a list of his sufferings. Here's what he said. He said, five times from the Jews, I received 40 stripes minus one. In other words, he said, five times the Jews whipped my back, gave me 39 lashes till my flesh on my back literally hung like ribbons. And he said, five times I took that kind of a beating from the Jews. He said, three times I was shipwrecked. And three times he said, I was beaten with rods. And let me tell you what a person would experience when they were beaten with rods. They would be thrown down on their stomach on the ground. Someone would hold their head down while another person grabbed their feet and pulled them up. While another person came with a metal rod or a wooden rod and beat the bottom of the feet until the feet were mangled. Paul said, three times I took that kind of a beating. 
And then he said this, he said, one night I spent a whole night floating on a piece of driftwood out in the middle of the sea. And then he goes on and he begins to list all the dangers that he faced in his life. Dangers here and dangers there and dangers from this group of people and dangers from that group of people. And, and then we see that at the end of his life, he even dies a martyr's death. He is beheaded for his faith. So when a man talks about suffering, I think this man has a right to talk about suffering because he suffered for the gospel. He suffered as a believer unlike many believers who have ever lived. But here's what he says. He said, when I sit down and I consider it, and it's like he has some, some, some scales that he's weighing his, his sufferings over on this side. He puts them in the scale to the left. And, and then over to the right, he says, I'm going to put the glory which shall be revealed. And he said that when you put my sufferings on this side and the glory on this side, the glory that is yet to be revealed far outweighs any suffering that I have ever gone through in this present time and in this present age. Matter of fact, he said it this way. He said it's not worth comparing this suffering. It's not even worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Paul understood that the best is yet to come. And Paul understood that this life is not all there is to life. And Paul would live his life on his tiptoes at the edge of eternity, anticipating what was yet to come. And, and, and let's read on through this passage, and then we'll come back and break it down a little bit. He said, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, I just want you to see all of creation standing on their tiptoes at the edge of eternity, anticipating with eager hope. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Let me read that again. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too, he said, wait with eager hope. For the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for but the Holy Spirit prays with groanings that words or with groanings that cannot be expressed in words and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will now we're going to come back in a moment and we're going to dissect that and we're going to get the full meaning of what Paul is trying to say to us but before we get into those three principles that I want you to take home with you today, I want to just give you a few ways that if we're not careful that you and I respond when we suffer in life as believers. 
And I think that one of the ways that we as believers respond to suffering is this, and that is that we even deny that we're going through hard times. You know, you walk up to somebody and you ask them how they're doing, and they're like, I'm great. I'm doing great. And you know they're not doing great. You know they're going through a season of difficulty. You know they're going through a real trial. But you know they've always been taught, never let them see you sweat. And so some people deny the fact that they're even going through a difficult time. Won't own up to the fact that they're going through a difficult time. But not only do we deny that we're suffering, secondly, we sometimes, as believers, we get angry when we suffer. We get angry when we feel like God hasn't treated us fairly. We get angry when we feel like people haven't treated us fairly. We get mad at God. We get mad at other people. We get mad at our circumstances. We get mad at ourselves. Anger is another response that we have. A third response that we have is blame. Now, let's face it, not all suffering that we face in life is a direct result of our disobedience to God, but some of it is. How many of you know we bring some of the pain on ourselves? Just like Adam and Eve did. We bring some of that pain on ourselves, some of that suffering on ourselves because we've disobeyed the Word of God. And as a result of that disobedience, we suffer the consequences of that. But we want to blame God. We want to blame other people. We want to blame circumstances. But then there's a third response that believers can have to suffering. And this is, I believe, the only true response and the only righteous response that we can have. And that is to accept the suffering and learn from it because I believe that even in our pain even in our seasons of suffering God is trying to grow us and God is trying to teach us some things and that's what I want us to learn this morning how do we live life standing on our tiptoes at the edge of eternity well there's three things that we need to know about suffering three things that we need to know about pain and one of those is this, and I love it. It's right there clearly in the passage we just looked at. And that is that our suffering is only temporary. Has anybody ever been going through a hard time and thought this hard time is just going to last forever? This is just the way my life is and this is just the way my circumstances are and I might as well just get used to it because this is just the way life was meant to be lived here on this earth. But listen to me, this suffering and this pain, whatever it is that you might be going through this morning, it is only temporary. And remember what Paul said in Romans 8 and 18. He said that the sufferings of this present time, they are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, the suffering is just for a little while, but then the glory is going to last forever. It's going to last throughout all of eternity. And he goes on. Let's look closer at this passage of Scripture in verse 19. He said, for all creation is waiting eagerly. Now, when he talks about all creation here, he's not at this particular moment talking about us human beings. He's not talking about us believers. But he's talking about everything else in creation. The trees, the oceans, the stars the moon, everything else that God created, all of creation, he said, 
is waiting eagerly. Well, what is all of creation waiting eagerly for? That future day when God will reveal who his children really are. And the way that God is going to reveal who his children really are, the Bible says that when the rapture takes place, that the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The dead in Christ will be raised, but then we shall all be changed. At that moment, all of us are going to receive our resurrected, glorified bodies that serve as proof that we really are the children of God. And all of creation is eagerly anticipating that because they know that when they see that happen, that the entire curse on this earth is going to be lifted and then everything can get back to the way that God originally created it to be. That's why all of creation is living life on the edge of eternity, standing on their tiptoes in eager hope and anticipation waiting for it to take place. And then he goes on in verse 20 and says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. You see, creation outside of human beings had nothing to do with the disobedience of Adam and Eve that brought the curse on this earth to begin with. So all of creation that I just mentioned to you a moment ago, had nothing to do. They were subjected against their will. They were the innocent party in this, but yet they feel the effects. All of creation feels the effects. Why do you think we have earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes? Why do you think that our earth, because the Bible talks about how that even the earth is groaning, And he said this, he said, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. You do understand that for the believer, death is a very temporary thing. As a matter of fact, as a believer, you don't even know the moment that you die and enter into eternity because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so the moment that you leave your body here on this earth, you then go into the presence of God Almighty. Somebody ought to be getting excited about this. And he said that all of creation is looking forward to the day when they can join God's children and be released from that curse of death and decay. How many of you have ever been to a dentist and the dentist does an examination of your teeth and he tells you you've got a cavity? You know what a cavity is. A cavity is tooth decay. Because of sin... There is a law called the law of thermodynamics that said that as a result of sin, and the law itself doesn't say this, but it's what brought it about, that because of sin, everything will eventually run down. Everything. That's why you 
have to buy a car every several years because that car's going to run down. That's why you have to keep your house maintained because the house is going to run down. You can paint it today and five years from now, you're going to have to paint it again because everything runs down. I hate to tell you this, but your body, this physical body, no matter how good you eat, no matter how much you exercise, no matter how much you take care of yourself, you may feel better while you're here, but still there's going to come a time when your body's going to run down. You see, that's the whole struggle that we're up against here. We've got a redeemed spirit. You've heard me talk about this before when we've talked about salvation. When, when you study salvation in the scripture, here's what you're going to find out. There are three words that describes our salvation. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, your spirit is justified. That spirit that was dead because of sin on the inside of you, that spirit is redeemed. That spirit is justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. That's my spirit. But then I have my soul. My soul is being sanctified. So I have been saved, but I'm also being saved. And how many of you know that sanctification is a process? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm still in process. I'm still not like Jesus. I still don't do everything the way that I know I'm supposed to, but I'm being sanctified. Every day I'm growing to be more and more like Jesus. So you have been saved, you are being saved, but then you shall be saved. That's where the word glorification comes from. You see, your body has not been redeemed yet. That's why it's such a struggle here on this earth. It's because you've got a glorified body, or you've got a glorified spirit, you've got a... you. you You've got a justified spirit inside of a unredeemed, unglorified body. Paul said it like this. He said, you have this treasure, talking about the Holy Spirit. You have this treasure, but this treasure is inside of an earthen vessel. It's inside of an unredeemed body. That's why the Spirit can want to do what God wants you to do, but yet the unredeemed body and flesh keeps getting in your way. I know I'm just preaching to myself this morning and probably not to anybody else, but my body, my flesh, my will many times gets in the way of doing what my Spirit is trying to lead and guide and direct me to do by the Holy Spirit. But there's a reason for that. Our body has not yet been redeemed. But one day our body will be fully redeemed. And one day we will have that glorious freedom from death and decay. Look at somebody and say, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to get any more cavities. No more. No more decay in heaven. And, and then notice, he goes on and he says this, for we know that all creation has been groaning. What has creation been doing? Say it. Groaning. All of creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I've been in the room both times that my wife gave birth to our boys. There was a lot of groaning going on in that room. What does the word groan mean? It means to make 
in, or, or deep inarticulate sounds in response to pain and despair. Come on, ladies. Y'all know what I'm talking about this morning. If you've given birth to a child, you know, there, there's just a pain that you cannot describe. You just groan through it. You just moan through it. And he said that's what all of creation is doing right now. It's like a woman who is giving birth to a child, groaning, waiting eagerly, wanting for this to take place. And then he goes on and he says, but we believers also groan. We groan. Why? Because we've got this redeemed, justified spirit in an unredeemed, unglorified body. And it's a constant struggle. It's a constant fight. And so we are groaning to do what? To be released from this body so that we can get the new body that God has promised us. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about our bodies. He compared our bodies to a tent. Anybody ever slept in a tent before? I can handle a tent for two or three days, but I don't want to live in a tent forever. I can live in this body for a little while, but I don't want to live in this body forever. And that's why Paul compared our bodies to a tent. And then he said this. He said, in this tent we groan. Wanting to be released so that we can have that body that's been made for us in heaven. Not by the hands of man, but by God himself. And one thing you're going to notice about a tent, you leave that tent up long enough and you use that tent long enough, it's going to start sagging. It's going to get tears in it. It's going to start wearing out. And that's exactly the way it's going to be with our bodies because these are not our glorified bodies. Oh, I wish you could see me this morning in my glorified body. I look so much better in my glorified body. I look exactly the way that I want to look in my glorified body. I weigh exactly what I want to weigh in my glorified body. I got just the right color of hair that I want in my glorified body, I wish you could see me. And I believe one day you will see me and I'll see you in your glorified body. Amen. A body that's free of death and decay. Oh, I'm telling you, church, the best is yet to come. The sufferings of this present life aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Oh, I feel like preaching this morning. I get excited about this. He said, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and from suffering. And I hate to tell you this. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But as long as you are here on this earth in your unglorified, unredeemed body, you're going to encounter some pain. You're going to encounter some difficulty. You're going to experience some suffering in that body. That's why we groan. That's why we stand on our tiptoes at the edge of eternity because we want to get out. We want to move out of this earthly body. And then he goes on and he says this, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies. Everybody say new body. Come on, say it again, a new body. 
I'm not talking about a body you can get from a plastic surgeon. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about cosmetic surgery. I'm talking about a glorified body. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that when this body is placed into the ground, it's like the planting of a seed. And he said that the seed that goes into the ground is not the body that's going to come out of the ground. When you put an acorn in the ground, you don't get just one acorn out of the ground. You get a mighty oak tree from that acorn that went into the ground that produces many seeds so that you can replant and have a full harvest. And so when our bodies go into the ground, here's what he's saying. The body that went into the ground ain't the body that's going to come out of that ground. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Amen. And when my body comes out, it may go into the ground a perishable body, but it's coming out an imperishable body. It may go into the ground in weakness, but it's going to come out of the ground in power. It may go into the ground in dishonor, but it's going to come out of the ground in glory. It may go into the ground a natural physical body, but it's going to come out of the ground a spiritual body. Somebody know the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Amen. I can just hear some of you right now, Lord, pastor, making me want to die. (laughs) It's temporary, guys. Are you listening to me? It's temporary. What is a hundred years spent here in this body compared to eternity with God in heaven in your glorified body? One day, you and I will look just like Jesus. We may look like him now on the inside. We just don't look like him on the outside. But one day, we will take on the same body that he's taken on. Glorified body. Here's the second thing that we need to get from this, and that is our suffering is also educational. We can learn from our suffering. We can learn from our pain. Notice notice what Paul says. He tells us two things that we can learn from suffering. He said, we were given this hope when we were saved. So one thing that suffering does is suffering teaches us about hope, what hope is, how to live life with hope. And then he basically defines for us what hope is. He said, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. That's why we hope for a glorified body, because we don't already have it. If we already had it, then we wouldn't hope for it. We hope for what we do not yet have. But here's what hope does. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So here's what hope is. Hope is me waiting with confidence for God to do what God said he would do. It might not have happened yet, because if it had, I wouldn't hope for it anymore. And so all of this that I'm talking to you about today, about glory, about a glorified body, about heaven, that is a promise that God has given every one of us. And because God is the one who made that promise, I can wait with confidence, knowing without a doubt it will happen. I don't know when. 
I don't know where I'll be, but I know it's going to happen. And so I wait with confidence, but not only do I wait with confidence, here's the second thing, not only is he teaching us about hope, but he's also teaching us about patience. You do understand, don't you, that you don't get patience just by coming to God in prayer and saying, oh God, give me patience and give it to me now. Like God, I need it right now. No, that's not how you get patience. Patience develops. It's developed. You gotta go through some stuff. You gotta wait on some things. I was in Atlanta 18 and a half years. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, I am a more patient person today because of the waiting in traffic that God allowed me to experience. I went to Alabaster yesterday, or Friday, excuse me. I was late getting started. I didn't even leave here till four o'clock. Now, can you imagine that? I'm telling you, I hear you down here. Oh, Lord. Oh, that's groaning with words that cannot be. That's what I was doing. I was groaning. I about lost my sanctification. I'm just telling you. Maybe even my justification. I just, I, I'm not a good waiter. I don't like to wait. But God allows waiting in our lives because that's the only way that he can develop patience for and in us. And if you want to be a patient person, then God will use circumstances to teach you patience and to teach you hope. I've got to get on to the next. Not only is it temporary and not only is it educational, but the last thing that we need to notice about suffering is that suffering, I know it's going to blow some of you away, but it's beneficial. Look at your neighbor and say, this is good for you. <laughs> it really is. It really is good for you. Because let me tell you what suffering does. Let me tell you what pain in life does. Adversity, opposition in life. It reminds us of just how invincible we are or how we're not invincible. It reminds us of just how weak we really are. It reminds us that if we're going to get through this, it's going to take more than just us. That we need additional help to get through this. And look at what Paul says. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Listen, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't want you to think that I'm getting up here and I'm preaching this message today never having experienced any pain or suffering or loss in our life. My, my wife has lost both of her parents since we've been married. It was Thanksgiving Day, 1982, that I went to her dad and asked for her hand in marriage. She was 16 years old. I was 20. And when I asked him for his daughter's hand, his 16-year-old daughter's hand, you know what he did? He groaned. I had a feeling he wanted to say some things, but he didn't. He just went, mm, 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 mm. 
I don't know, she's so young. And, her, and, and then Mary and Jamie's mom is standing there saying, oh, I feel great about it. I think this is wonderful. I think this is, all. come on, James, just give him your blessing. Just give him your blessing. And then two days later, he's walking out of a bar in Pensacola, Florida, and somebody puts a gun to his chest, and within seconds, he's gone into eternity. My wife lost her mom when she was just in her early 60s. And a lot of that had to do with some poor choices when she was younger and the lifestyle that she lived. My sister, who I love dearly, my baby sister, back in about 1992, the Lord blessed her and my brother-in-law with a beautiful little baby named Sydney. And when Sydney was three months old, my sister walked into her room one day and she had died from sudden infant death syndrome. One minute, the baby was doing fine. And the next minute, the baby was gone. And I could go on and I could share a number of stories and you could share your, numbers with, so, your stories with me. So I'm not preaching to you today from, from a place of not knowing what pain and loss and suffering is. To have our son, when he was 10 years old, diagnosed with juvenile diabetes and still to this day has to take five, four or five insulin shots every day. So we've been there. We've experienced much of what you have gone through and much of what you have experienced in your life. And you know what it taught us? It taught us that we could have never done it alone. We needed not just natural help from our friends and our family, but we needed a supernatural help from Holy Spirit. And I can't tell you how many times I've referred back to Romans 8:26, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He sees that we're weary. He sees it's like, it's like we're running a race and we've tripped and we've fallen. And no matter what we try to do, we can't get back to our feet again. But he wants us to finish this race so desperately that, that he comes to our aid and he gets down beside us and he picks us up and carries us across the finish line. He helps in our weakness and then he gives us an example of how the Holy Spirit helps us. He said, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. How many times have you been going through a situation and, and you were so emotionally weary that you didn't really know what to pray? Or you didn't know how to pray. And in a moment of suffering and pain, you didn't really understand what the will of God was in all of that. And what was it that God was trying to do in that moment of your life? And he said, that's just one of the weaknesses that we as human beings have. We don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. See, not, as, not only is all of creation groaning and not only are just we as believers groaning, but the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us. When we don't know the will of God, when we don't know what to pray, all of the sudden, the Holy Spirit comes to our rescue and He begins to pray through us and He begins to pray for us and those things that we pray that were not in line with the will of 
God, the Holy Spirit says, Father, that's not really what they meant. What they really meant was this. I know what they prayed, but Father, what they really need is this because you see, the Holy Spirit knows what we need. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. The Holy Spirit knows the will of God because the Holy Spirit is as much God as God is. So it's like God is praying to God on your behalf and on my behalf. Amen. When we don't know what to say, Holy Spirit prays for us with words that cannot be uttered. It's called praying in the Spirit. Oh, somebody this morning just needs to begin to release your spirit and let the Spirit of Almighty God pray through you to give you the strength and the power that you need and the help you need to get past this this morning. Oh, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Amen. So it teaches us that we're not invincible. It teaches us that we are weak. It teaches us we don't have what we need. It teaches us. And it's beneficial because it lets us know that we need a power greater than our own. But Paul ends this passage, and I want the team to go ahead and come. Paul ends this passage with some very important words. Because when we're going through suffering, when we're going through pain, as believers, if we're not careful, the first thing that we're tempted to do is say, God, if you loved me, you wouldn't allow this to happen. God, if you cared for me, you wouldn't allow this to happen. And the, and the enemy begins to use that against God. And, be, and the enemy gets to, begins to use that. Maybe as one of those mind games that Jamie was talking about here this morning. Well, God doesn't love me. Because if God loved me, then he would have never allowed this. And the enemy will tell you that, well, God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. Look at your life. Look at what you're going through right now. And that's exactly what was going on in this passage to the Romans. And so Paul gave them these words of encouragement. He said, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Does, does that mean that he no longer loves us? Paul goes on and says, no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. <laughs> Somebody, you need to receive that. That's the inspired word of God coming your direction. That's not just some words from Victor Massey's heart or mind this morning. These are the words of the Holy Spirit to somebody that's been thinking, well, because of everything I'm going through, it must mean that God doesn't love me. No, 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 no. God loves you and you will be victorious through Jesus Christ because nothing can separate you. I'm convinced nothing, 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 nothing can separate us from the love of God. And you know what that means too? That means no matter what you've done, that, mean, that means no matter what kind of bad decisions or bad choices that you've made, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God.
Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience it for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.